Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Pastor Isaac, lead pastor of Shore Christian Church, and you are about to hear a sermon from our latest series, The Escape Room. And The Escape Room is based off of all these uh, interactive adventures all across America called escape rooms, where you're kind of locked in a room and you have to use your surroundings in order to uh, escape what's, uh, what's trying to confine and bind you. And I thought that would be a, a great way to tie into a series because we're all trying to escape from something in life, whether it's physical, mental, emotional. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians that no matter what we're tempted by, no matter what we are facing, God will never allow us to be tempted beyond what we can bear, but will always provide a way of escape. So get ready to check out this sermon. Uh, if this message blesses you, we encourage you to contribute uh, to Shore Christian Church so we can get more of these powerful messages out to people that need to hear them the most. And you could do so right on the link provided below. God bless you. Enjoy this sermon. And amen. I am so uh, uh, excited to be able to bring the final part of our uh, Escape Room series to you last Sunday. Uh, who was here last Sunday? Throw your hands up in the air. Like you just don't get in the back. It, it, was, it was an amazing, amazing day. If you weren't here, please listen to that sermon on our YouTube channel. A lot of people, just the feedback was overwhelming for how many people uh, really had a breakthrough uh, as so many people battled depression. And that's what the sermon was centered around, was uh, uh, breaking through uh, depression. This, this sermon was titled, A Hot Mess, because that's the way a lot of us are. And, and that was a, a great Sunday. And, and today I'm going to be preaching on a character in the Bible that I've never dedicated a sermon to. And I'm really excited about it. I, I got confirmation this morning uh, as I was uh, saying goodbye to Lily, uh, coming here to preach at the 9 a.m. service, and she was watching uh, the story on Superbook of Jonah and the whale. And anyone ever know the story of Jonah and the whale? Yeah, yeah, Jonah and the whale, awesome story. And uh, that's what we're going to be dealing with today. Uh, and uh, I'm going to title this sermon, Falling from Your Calling. Falling from your calling. And uh, Jonah chapter 1 and uh, verse 1. Going to try and get through this. Here we go. The word of the Lord came to Jonah and said, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Uh, but Jonah didn't listen to God. Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. And he went down to Joppa and he found a ship bound for the port. And he paid the fare and got aboard the, the ship fleeing from the Lord. Some of you are there. Some of you have been there. And it, it is a uh, place where you think you're making the right decision. But actually, when you are outside the presence of the Lord, that is a very dangerous place to be. And the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and a violent storm arose and the ship threatened to break up. And all the sailors were afraid and, and they started praying to their own God. And then they started throwing cargo over. But Jonah got below deck. He laid low. Uh, he started falling asleep. The captain went and said, how can you sleep, Jonah? We're, we're, we're dying. This storm is crazy, and, and, and maybe uh, you need to pray to your God so that he could take notice of what we're going through. And then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to see which one is responsible for this calamity. So they, they cast lots, and of course, the lot fell on Jonah. And I'm sure, you know, Jonah's probably at first, no, it's not me, and it's not me, it's not me. But they all knew it was him. He was the one. He was the guy that was causing this. And so they said, what kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? Where is your country? Where are your people, Jonah? And he answered, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord God of the heaven who made the sea and made the dry land. And then this terrified them. What have you done? Why are you running away from the Lord? And, and so all of a sudden, now the onus is on Jonah. And the sea was getting rougher and rougher. And they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down? And Jonah said, pick me up and throw me in the sea. Would have been nice if he could just do it on his own, but he just wanted them to do the dirty work for him, I guess. Is, you know, in, just throw me overboard so you get convicted of this felony. And, and so they, they, they said, and it will become calm. And so uh, that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. And instead, they did their best to row back to land, but they could not. And then they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not hold us against, don't hold it against us to kill this man, uh, for he is innocent. And verse 15, it says, then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made their vows to him. Verse 17, this is the one that we build uh, 
uh, Sunday school lessons on stories on. This is the, the, the part that everybody knows, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian. Uh, now, the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. A lot of people uh, get really confused with this type of passage. Was it scientifically possible for a man to survive in the belly of a fish for three days? This seems kind of silly. This seems stupid. This is the things that that Bill Maher and and those types of people just have field days calling uh, people that believe this stuff unintelligent and and all these things. And and you know what? You, You may be contemplating that yourself. How could a person survive in the belly of a fish for three days? This sounds like a, like a silly Sunday school lesson to me. Uh, I personally, I believe that this happened. I believe that this literally happened. I, I believe that uh, the God that created the heavens and the earth, the God that hung the earth on nothing, the God that made you turn from a little tiny itty bitty embryo to grow nine months inside the uterus of a woman and you fed through an umbilical cord and then the moment that you came out, you took your first breath here, all of a sudden you no longer fed from that umbilical cord but you started breathing in air. The God that made the miracle of birth, if he wanted to make a fish swallow a man for three days, he could make a fish swallow a man for three days. And, and that's what I believe. If you, if you don't believe that, that's your decision. If you're confused, that, that, that's all good. Jesus still loves you. And you know what? Even if you don't believe that, God can still speak to you through this sermon. So are, are we good? Okay. So whether you think this is a metaphor or this actually happened, God still loves you and he's got a word for you this morning. And, and then it says, for, for three days, Jonah was in the belly of the fish. Three days and three nights. Falling from your calling. Jonah went in the opposite direction of where he knew he was supposed to be. Anyone ever done that before? Yeah. The people that don't have their hands up are liars and they're going to hell. I didn't see a hand, Anthony. <laughs> I remember uh, uh, it was about, man, 14 years ago, holy cow, almost 14 years ago, uh, when I first met my wife, Diamond, and, and the reason that I, I want to tell this story is because I, I was reminded of it uh, by the, the movie that we saw last night. Uh, I went to, with the family, we saw the new Aladdin movie. Has anyone seen it yet? It's awesome. I love it. I never thought that there could be another genie other than Robin Williams, but I have to admit Will Smith did a pretty legit job as the genie. So we took the whole family to see Aladdin. It reminded me of something that happened, uh, Diamond and I, the first time that we ever met uh, was in 2006 in Los Angeles, California. Is Diamond here? We're all right. Hey, baby. What's up, girl? You look better today than you did back then. Just better with age. I love you, honey. We got Dewey here. He's up there in the cheap seats. And so uh, I, I met Diamond in Los Angeles, and uh, it, we, we never, we, we were very Christian, and well, at least she was. I was still kind of like 50-50. And, and so uh, uh, we, we weren't kissing. Like, we were maybe holding hands, and we still haven't had our first kiss. And, and I remember I was flying back to New Jersey the next day to go back to college, and, and I, I needed a commitment. I, I loved her. It was like love at first sight. And so our last night, uh, we went to this place called Echo Park in Los Angeles. Uh, Echo Park, not the most romantic place in the world. Uh, a lot of people puking in the corners, a lot of like sketchy cat calls coming at you from Echo Park. I didn't know any better, but I took her to Echo Park anyway. And so we're in Echo Park, and I'm trying to figure out how is this going to work? You know, you're, you live in California. I live in New Jersey. Diamond has never even been out of California before in her life. Grew up in Bakersfield. Now she lives in LA. You know, how is this going to work? It's going to be long distance. And, and, and Diamond was, was like, you know, God will make a way. And, and, and I know that he's going to figure this out for us. And, and I said, okay, all right, all right I, I trust you. Let, let, let's do this thing. We're going to do it long distance. And, and, and then I, I, I said to her, I said, honey, do you, do you trust me? You trust me. She said, I trust you. I trust you to take me to New Jersey. And then I said to her, I can show you the world. (laughs) Shining, shimmering, splendid. Tell me, diamond, when was the last time you let your heart decide? I could open your eyes, baby blue eyes. Take you wonder by wonder. Over sideways and under on a Delta flight to Newark, a whole new world. 
A new fantastic life together. No one to tell us no or where to go or say we're only dreaming. And so, and so after I did that, she said, all right, you got my heart, but my body's going to stay here in California. And so the next day, I went the complete opposite direction, 3,000 miles away from, from my baby, my destiny, my, my future. And, and, and I told that story. Um, I just kind of told that story because I wanted to sing this morning and I was feeling it. But I, I told that story because so many people, you're going the wrong way. You're going in the opposite direction of where God has called you to. God has called you one place, and yet because you have seen his calling, this is it, as an interruption and not an invitation, you're going down to Joppa. But God, I love God. God always sees things differently than we do. And he says, I want you to look at this, verse, put it up, verse 2. He says, God says, go to the great city of Nineveh. And preach against it. Calls the, the great city of Nineveh. Now nobody else would have ever called it the great city of Nineveh. Because Nineveh was a disgusting, evil, filthy, worthless city. The, the people were barbarians. The people that lived in Nineveh in, in this time. This is a historical book of the Bible. This stuff actually happened. Uh, Jonah was a real person. He was a prophet. And, and so uh, God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh, this barbaric state. Uh, we read about the history of Nineveh where they would skin their victims alive, take their skin, put a skull on it, and put it in their homes as a mantle, as a keepsake. They were perverted, disgust. They would cut out the organs of, of their enemies. They, uh, one account said that they would cut off the hands of their enemies while they were still alive and, and mock them and shake their hands right in front of them before they, they went and killed and plundered them. And uh, so this is where Jonah is called to preach. Sign me up for that. It's not like, uh, you know, God says, go to, to, to Spring Lake and preach the gospel. Okay, sounds good. No, it's not like that. It's like, go to North Korea and preach the gospel, and chances are you're going to get killed. And so Jonah's like, uh, no thanks. Uh, I'm not going to go to that great city. It's not a great city. It's a disgusting, perverted, evil city, and, and, and that's not the calling that I want. Uh, but a lot of times, we're not seeing the calling the way God sees it, because God sees it as a great city. We see it as a worthless place. And this is the anthem of so many people's lives. And this is why we miss God. And this is why we miss the life that God has created us for. When I was in California, uh, the pastor there, his name is Pastor Matthew Barnett. And when he was 21 years old, God called him to the city of Los Angeles to pastor a church that he was number four on the death chart to be the pastor of. The first three didn't want the job because it was in a, a poverty-stricken, disgusting part of downtown Los Angeles. This is right after the riots in 1994. And, and so Pastor Matthew was number four on the depth chart. He wasn't even wanted as the pastor, but none of the other pastors wanted the job. But he saw it as an invitation to do God's work. He saw downtown L.A as a mission field and not a worthless place to start a church where nobody had any money and there was violence and racism taking place everywhere. He saw that as an opportunity, as a calling. And because of that, you go to Los Angeles now, you see Pastor Matthew in front of a church this morning of around 8,000 people preaching to three services. He has a hospital, a 400,000 square foot hospital that changed the life of my wife, changed the life of my brother-in-law, changed my life and hundreds of thousands of other people's lives. But it's because he saw it as a calling, not an interruption. What do you call your calling? What do you do when you look out and you see all the bennies coming down for Memorial Day weekend? Yeah, my point exactly. What do you see? Why, why don't you see it as an opportunity to be able to bring hope to some hopeless people. Because I realize uh, on Skid Row in Los Angeles uh, that, that, yes, God can use anybody. And, and people that, that are homeless, God can use them. And God wants to reach them. That, those are the people that really broke my heart when I first got saved. And I wanted to serve them. But the last 12 months, you and I realized you don't have to be homeless to be hopeless. 
I'll say that again so it can resonate with some people. You don't have to be homeless to be hopeless. There are so many hopeless people right out there in Spring Lake, in Avon, in Neptune, in Asbury Park. But if you see it as an inconvenience, then you're going to miss the ministry that God is calling you to. Because your ministry is wherever you are at any point. Because you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. So you carry a revival with you every single place that you go. You don't have to go to Haiti to have a ministry. I love Haiti. God bless. Some people are called to Haiti. I'm not, and you're probably not. You're probably not called to El Salvador. You're probably not called to North Korea. Do you know where you're called? Right here. This is what Matthew says. Matthew chapter 10, verse 5. God says, I took my 12 harvest hands out with this charge. Don't begin by traveling to some far off place to convert unbelievers. And don't try and tackle some, some big public enemy like so many people do. They think that's their calling. Jesus says, think again, there's a better calling. This is what the calling is. Go to the lost, confused people right in your hood, your neighborhood. They're there. And you have inside of you what they need. You are not a Starbucks gift card. Turn to the person next to you and say, what is he talking about? You are not a Starbucks gift card, Melody. Because you get a Starbucks gift card, where's the only place that you could use that Starbucks gift card? That's right. Because when God calls you, you are not a Christian coupon. You are not a Christian gift card where God can only use you in church. No, you are legal tender. You're straight cash, homie. God can use you anywhere. You go to school. You go to the mall. You go to the coffee shop. You go to work. God can use you wherever you go. Your ministry is your neighborhood. Your ministry is your coffee shop. Your ministry is your place of business. You just need to open your eyes to the brokenness that is taking place all around you. And you have the key to freedom that so many people need. Could you bring one person to church this year? No? One. Just one. Turn to the person next to you and say, even you can do that. Just one. Imagine if everybody just brought one person to church. I want you to rethink about the last time you brought somebody to church. And if you don't, don't, haven't done it in a while, I want you to feel really guilty about it. <laughs> just kidding but seriously just one person we could double the size of this church but better yet we could double the size of hope that you're able to bring to your community and your neighborhood by just you know that, that, that sometimes that's the best evangelism because no, no, no offense, but uh, um, sometimes, you know, you, you get a little confused when you're trying to break down the, the, you know, eschatology and all these like crazy things. And, 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 and you just need to share your story and say, I want you to just come to church with me. Just come to church with me and watch what the Lord can do. And so now here's, here's Jonah. And uh, Jonah is uh, on the ship. And, and uh, this is what he says, verse 12. He says, uh, uh, pick me up and throw me into the sea. And it will become calm. You know, some people aren't going to jump off your boat. You got to throw them off. There are some people that are on your boat that you know are not good for you. And they're not going to throw themselves off. You have to throw them off yourself. And it's not because you're a bad person. It's just because you need to give them to God. That's the point. You can't save them. You can't redeem them. You got to throw them to God and let God deliver them. And, and that's what they did. They took Jonah and uh, they, they, they threw him off the boat. And, and, and then all of a sudden, uh, a big old uh, fish jumps out. Uh, it says, verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 2, uh, from the inside of the fish, Jonah prayed. Man, it took a fish for, for Jonah to wake up. What is it going to take for you to wake up? It's so much easier to, to respond to the warnings of God than to wait until your life is a complete calamity. And some people, that, that's you. You got to do that because you're just that stubborn that you literally have to wait until your entire life and family is falling apart in order for you to respond to God. But I want you to know it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to. You could, you could 
respond to the warnings of God before something like this takes place. And, and so God sends a fish, and, and finally Jonah's in the inside of a fish. God, that must have been disgusting. Who loves the smell of fish? I can't think of a worse smell than a fish being inside a fish. And you know what he did when he got inside the fish? He prayed. He prayed. Some of you, that's what I'm going to do next week. I'm going to stick a fish underneath your seat until you start praying. (laughs) And so he starts to pray. This is what he prayed. He says, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I call for help and you listen to my cry. To the roots of the mountains, I sank down the earth beneath, barred me in forever. But you, Lord, my God, brought my life up from the pit. Then my life was ebbing away, but I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God and and his love for them. But I will shout with grateful praise. I will sacrifice to you what I vowed I will make good. And I will say salvation comes from the Lord. Finally, Jonah, after being corrected and now redirected by this fish, finally is at the end of himself and seeks the Lord. And what I, I love, it's one of my favorite verses probably in this chapter. This is the one that stuck out to me the most after uh, he, he says this beautiful prayer and he's inside the fish and, and, and then all of a sudden uh, the Lord commanded the fish as after Jonah's pride was broken and finally his will was broken. The Lord commanded the fish to vomit Jonah onto dry land. And so the fish, you know, brah, throws Jonah. I, just, I don't know why. I just picture like, like Jonah just flying like a mile, like, ah, and then just landing face first, like a Looney Tunes video, like into the sand head first. And then uh, this is what it says, uh, verse one, uh, very encouraging voice, verse. This is what it says. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. I love that verse. Why do you love that verse, Pastor Isaac? Because it shows me that if God can't get to you the first time, he'll come to you a second time. He'll come to you a third time. I love the passage that we read last week. If you weren't here, we learned about this guy. His name was Elijah. And when Elijah uh, was suicidal, he was depressed. God came to him one time. He didn't listen. God came to him a second time. He didn't listen. He ran in a cave. God found him in the cave a third time and called him out of the cave because God never gives up on his children. God's love is unreal relenting towards his children. And if he has to send a fish, he'll send a fish. If he has to send a a random person to be able to reach you like he did for me, how God reached me was crazy. I sat in services with Oral Roberts. I sat in services with Paula White. I sat in services with some of the greatest orators, pastors in this nation. I heard them preach from pulpits and yet they didn't reach me. But God had to bring me to Skid Row, Los Angeles when I was 22 years old to do ministry to heroin addicts on Skid Row. And they asked me to go and be one of the people that prayed for some of the ones on Skid Row uh, that were about to get food from the Dream Center. And I was one of those persons that had to go around and pray for people. I didn't know how to pray at that point in my life. I thought praying was awkward. I didn't know the words I was supposed to use. So I just began talking to this one gentleman. And this one gentleman begins to tell me his story of that he's been a, a dope fiend for, for years. And, and he was a football player for Colorado University. And he had an injury and he got hooked on pain medication. And at little by little, his life began to erode. And now he's 32 years old on Skid Row, putting a needle in his arm. And I told him my story, that I was a baseball player from University of Maryland. And we had this connection. We talked. We shared some of our stories. I invited him to church. I invited him to church. I invited him to church. And we both went to church that Thursday at Angela's Temple. Pastor Matthew gave the altar call. Guess who came up to that altar call alongside me? The dude from Skid Row. He checked into the rehab at the LA Dream Center. That man from Skid Row reached my heart and set me free in a way that Oral Roberts, Ray McCauley, even my own father couldn't do. And I learned that God can use anyone to get your attention and set you back on course that he created you to fulfill. He did it for me. He did it for Jonah and he'll do it for you as well. If I could boil down Jonah's life to one sentence, this is what I would say. It's a little bit of a run on sentence, but that's okay. I'm not good at grammar anyway. Here it is. Are you ready? God can do anything for anyone 
anywhere, at any time, through anyone that he chooses. Even after a divorce, even after a DUI, even after you wasted half of your life in unforgiveness and bitterness, even after you got through a rehab, even after you hurt people, even after you broke people's hearts, even after God can use anyone, anytime, anywhere that he pleases. He is the God of the land. He's the God of the sea. He's the God of the fish. He's the God of all of humanity. And if he has to break you down and strip some things away from your life and bring you to your knees in brokenness for you to finally realize the purpose and the calling that God has placed on your life, then he'll do it. I love it. God has call waiting and he'll wait for you. The Bible says that he is long-suffering concerning his people, wishing that none should perish, but all should become to repentance. So God will wait for you to get your act together. And finally, when you turn to him, he's going to look at you and say, I've been here the whole time. It's about time you woke up to who you really are. There is a unique calling that you have. I say that unique. Say unique. unique. Unique calling that you have that nobody else has. Dallas Doty. Raise your hand. Stand up. Dallas Doty, stand up. How come nobody else stood up? Because I called his name. Nobody else responded because I called his name. That's who you are. There's nobody else that could be another Dallas Doty. And God created you to do something unique that nobody else can do. That is why God loved Jonah so much that he sent a fish halfway across the world to swallow him up because Jonah had a mission that only he could do. And there is a mission and a calling that only you can do. And that's why God loves you so much. And that's why he's protecting you so much. And he'll do the same thing. You can sit down now. For you, you have a unique calling on your life. And if you don't ever wake up to it, there's going to be a missing piece in the puzzle that God needs to fill. You are unique. Wake up to how special you really are. You are unique. You are special. God can't do this without you. And he looked at Jonah and you know what? I like this. I didn't do this in the first service. I love the fact that I get to preach two sermons because I get to give you stuff that I forgot to preach in the first service. So you guys are more special than the first service because I didn't, I didn't get to this in the first service. This is what it is. I don't even know if you want it. This may hurt some people's feelings or this may really shake somebody up, but this is it. Uh, in chapter one, Jonah had excuses, but in chapter two, he had regrets. Today's excuses will always be tomorrow's regrets in disguise. And many of you, you have excuses that are really good excuses really good. And even the world will agree with your excuses. But if you're not careful, your excuses will turn into regrets later on because you're seeing it the way you see it. What do they always say, Pat? They always say, uh, I, I, just, I just call it like I see it, right? That's what we say in Jersey, right? Because we're so real. Where are my real Jersey folk at? I mean, I'm real, man. I'm going to call it the way I see it not going to sugarcoat anything. Well, you know what? You just call it the way you see it. You're going to see it the same way your whole life. You need to call it the way God sees it. Because when God looked at Nineveh, he saw a great city. God sees us based on our potential, not our position. See, he, he saw Nineveh as its potential, a great city. There's 250,000 people that live in that city, and there's so much potential in that city. It's great. But Jonah looked at it as an inconvenience. He looked at it as evil people that needed judgment. But I, I'm so glad that God looked at me, and he saw my potential and not my position. He saw that I was worth it based off of who I could become. And this is what I love. Uh, God loves us right where we are, right? We preach that a lot here. God loves you right where you are today. But he loves you too much to leave you. God loves you, and then he leads you back into your calling. He loved Jonah so much, he sent a fish to catch him. But then he redirected him into his new life. Because God doesn't leave you. He leads you to new places. And so that's what he did to Jonah. And Jonah's, you know, what do you think the first thing Jonah did when he, when he got, got spit out of the, the fish? Someone in the first service yelled out, he took a shower. I was like, revelation, my man. 
Uh, yeah, so after he took the shower, this is what he did. So he took the shower, and, and then he, he walks right into Nineveh. You know, I would have not taken a shower because I would have gotten people's attention by how bad I smelt. And, and so uh, Jonah obeys the, the word of the Lord, and, and now he's finally at Nineveh. And I'm thinking, this, this dude's going to be a good preacher. You know what I mean? Wait, I, like, if God did all this, sent a, a, a whale or fish or whatever to rescue him, he, he must really be a good preacher. Like T.D. Jakes on steroids. Like, like, like he must just be, you know, incredible with the metaphors and the hermeneutics and everything. Like he must be off the charts. Amazing. You ready for a sermon? One per- my mom, the only person. At least I got love on the front row, all right? I don't need you people in the back. Where's hateful Henry at? He's a fictitious character. I just made him up. All right, so this is a, this is a sermon. This is what he said. Jodo obeyed the word of the Lord. Went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through. So, Jonah began his day's journey into the city. Got the microphone. Here's the sermon. Forty days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's it? That's it? You, you sat in that fish for three days, and that's all you got? I don't have any stories, I don't have any songs, I don't have any jokes, no metaphors, nothing, that's it. I'm kind of jealous. I work hard for these sermons. And he preached five-word sermon. And, you know, how, how would you like it? How would you like it? You know, we, if, if you came to church, you know, and, uh, you know, paid your tithe and, and Nicole, something Nicole, how do you sing that song? How's it go? Let it rip. No, no mic. Fill me. Come on. Come on, Nicole. Give it to me. Fill me up, God. Fill yeah. Me up, God. One more. Fill me up, God. Oh. Yeah. Woo. Fill me. I, I don't got it. I don't got it. I don't got it. I know people are like, yes, crying, you know. And, just, and, then, and then Pastor Isaac, I, I get up here. You know, after all that, you, you guys, you know, offering went around. And, you know, I get up. 40 days. Asbury Park is going to be destroyed. You'd be like, I want my money back. <laughs> but, but what's amazing is that was his sermon, and everybody got saved. <laughs> I mean, even like Pastor Ron, like imagine I give the altar call. You know, who needs to get back on the road with Jesus? And Pastor Ron's like, me. Sermon was so good. You know, everybody got saved. That is what is so amazing by your obedience to God's calling on your life is it doesn't have to be perfect. You don't have to be the most talented person. You just have to be obedient to what God is calling you to do. He'll give you the words. He'll give you the ability. You just have to be willing to step out in faith. You don't have to be the best preacher. You just have to allow the Holy Spirit to work through you. And so he gives this sermon and everybody comes to the Lord. This is what it says. Verse 10, when God saw what they, what they did and how they turned from their evil ways because they, they, were, they were an evil people. And when he preached that sermon, they began turning from their wicked ways. They began putting away they, their idols and they began to seek God and, and pray and fast just after that simple message. And all of a sudden, God, who was going to bring judgment on them, says, I'm going to, instead of judgment, I'm going to bring grace on them. And the whole entire city was spared. And I would think Jonah would be pumped about this. Wouldn't you? I mean, I was in a fish for three days. I preached this sermon. Didn't even have to work on it. I just spoke five words and everything happened. Now, the city is coming forward. I, I'm going to be able to have a, a great ministry to Nineveh and be able to disciple them now that they're finally laying down their idols and laying down their sins. And, 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 and I, I would think that that's where Jonah would be. But Jonah was so full of hate for those Ninevites that he got angry because of the grace that God showed them. Un. Believable. If you realized how sinful 
you really are and how much you, good old you, who pays your taxes every single year, who hasn't had a parking ticket in three years, you, good squeaky queen you, if you knew how much God has forgiven you for and how much wrath and judgment you deserve, you would have so much grace for other people and stop judging other people's sins and other people's shortcomings because you have a Jonah spirit on you and you get upset when other people are blessed. You get upset when other people receive the forgiveness that that you don't think that they deserve and you don't even want to reach out your hand and forgive the people that have hurt you. And so Jonah, this is what he says. Jonah chapter four, verse one. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. You ever tell that to God? This seems wrong to me, to the way I see it. This seems very unfair, what my family is having to go through right now. This doesn't seem right, God. This doesn't seem fair. I, I, I feel like there's someone in here. There's a, there's a gentleman in here who's saying that right now, that you're facing something that you don't understand. And the question in your mind is like, Jonah, this doesn't seem fair to me, how good I've been, how, how obedient I've been, what I've been through. And now this, I, I was looking for you to do it a different way. And, and, and I didn't expect you to throw me this bone, God. And then he became angry at the Lord because many times if you continue to question God, your, your, your questions can turn to anger. And your anger can, can turn to frustration to a point where you don't even want to serve the God who sent the whale to save you. Because what's interesting is Jonah goes on to say, this is hysterical. He said, I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Sounds like pretty good to me. Jonah wasn't complaining about God's grace when he was in the belly of the fish. See, a lot of times we have trouble giving other people grace because we're blind to what God has already forgiven us for. There are two extremes that I feel like we need to understand, number one, is you are way more loved by God than you could ever imagine. And secondly, you are far worse of a person than you think you are. What you deserve is judgment, but what you're given is grace. Why can't you give that to other people? Why can't you forgive your brother, your family member, your boss? And Jonah, this is, what, this is what unforgiveness will cause you to do. I don't know if they have the scripture, but I'm going to read it to you. Verse 3. He said, now, now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. That's what unforgiveness will do to you. It'll paralyze you. It'll cause de- depression to dominate your life. It'll cause you to be so paralyzed that you can't even see the good in other people. You can't even see the good in yourself because you're so consumed with hate and anger. And I I believe that that is the crux of this story. I know that there's a lot more to this story. And and a lot of times we think that the story is about a fish where we think this story is is about uh, Jonah run away from God's calling. All of those things are true. But what this story is about is about immense grace that is shown to people who don't deserve it, Jonah included. And then immense hate and anger that Jonah has for people because of God's love towards them, that he can't forgive them. Forgiveness sets you free. Forgiveness is the gift that you give yourself. Joyce Meyer always says that. One of my favorite lines. And there's this story that I want to close this sermon with and and read it to you. Because I believe it, it paints a great picture of what is possible through the simple act of forgiveness. And it's the story that I read in one of my favorite books called The Hiding Place. Uh, the author's name is Corey Temboon. And it's the story um, of her life throughout the uh, uh, World War II. And she lived in Holland and she uh, uh, protected Jews and she let the Jews uh, hide in her house. And, and eventually uh, her and her sister were caught 
and she had to go into a concentration camp, and, and she survived. Her sister did not. And then after the war, uh, what Corey Tenboon would do is she would travel all across Europe, and she would teach and tell her story on forgiveness. She felt this was her calling from God because she knew the power of forgiveness and there was so much hate and there was so much hurt in so many people after the war and she felt the only way that they could ever move forward after the war was to be able to unleash forgiveness on the Nazis and those who uh, inflicted wounds on so many people. And she tells this story in her book and, and I'm going to read it to you word for word. Please, please pray for me. I'm not the greatest reader in the world, but I want to make sure I say it in, in her words and not mine. And uh, she, the story takes place in a church, and she's giving one of her speeches uh, after the war. And she says, she writes, It was a church in Munich, Germany, that I saw him. A bald, heavyset man in a gray overcoat, a brown hat clutched between his hands. People were filing out the basement room where I had just spoken, moving along the rows of wooden chairs to the doors at the rear. It was 19... 47, and I had come from Holland to defeat Germany with a message that God forgives. It was the truth that they needed most to hear in that bitter, bombed-out land, and, and I gave them my favorite mental picture. Maybe just because the sea was never far from a Hollander's mind, I like to think that that's where forgiven sins were thrown. When we confess our sins, I said, God cast them into the deepest oceans, gone forever. The solemn faces stared back at me, not quite daring to believe. There were never questions after a talk in Germany in 1947. People stood up in silence, collected their coats in silence, and left the room in silence. And that's when I saw him, working his way forward against the others. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, and next a blue uniform with a visor cap with its skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush, a huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister Betsy, frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath her parched skin. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man was a guard at Ravitzbrook concentration camp where we were held and sent. Now he was in front of me, hand thrust out. He said, a fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so passionately on forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he, one prisoner among those thousands of women? But this was the first time since my release that I had been face to face with one of my captors. And my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Rabbitsbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. No, he did not remember me, Corey said. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian. I was ravished with guilt for the atrocities I committed. But now know that God has forgiven me for the evil I have done. But will you forgive me, Fraulein? Again, the hand came out. And I stood there, I whose sins every day had to be forgiven. But here I could not. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out. But to me, it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, Corey wrote. That we forgive those who have hurt us. If you don't forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I knew it not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. Since the end of the war, I had, I had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. And those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter what the physical scars were. Those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And still I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that. Forgiveness is an act of the will. 
and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I could do that much, but you supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into my, our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried out, with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped in each other's hands the former guard and the former prisoner. She writes, this is the part that is forever sketched in my mind. She said, I had never known God's love so intensely as I did in that moment. The words of Corey Tembun. And Jonah, his story is quite the opposite. But Jonah was a symbol also. Jonah was a symbol of one that was going to come later. Jonah is mentioned one other time in the Bible. It's in Matthew chapter 10. And Jesus brings up his name and, and Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12 verse 38, as he's talking to people on, on forgiveness and he's talking to people on who he is. And, and this is what he says. He says to some of the Pharisees, they wanted a sign from Jesus. And Jesus answered, a wicked and adulterous generation asked for a sign. But none will be given except for the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment of this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now someone and something greater than Jonah is here with you today. Jesus is, is looking out at those that he's speaking to and he's speaking it to us this morning. That there is one greater than Jonah. And he's here with you. And in the same way that Jonah had to spend three nights in the belly of a fish because of his disobedience, the Son of God is going to have to spend three days and three nights in the belly of the earth because of my disobedience. And in the same way that the whale spit Jonah out, Jesus was spit out of the ground so that we might receive the forgiveness that we so desperately need because of our desperate sinful nature. And the difference is that in order to receive that, you have to give that. And I know for so many people, this is one of the most difficult sermons to hear. But God loves us too much to leave us. And I know that you're from New Jersey. And I know that you are so stubborn and I know that you always have to see the bad in so many situations. And that person that I'm describing is sitting here in this room this morning. And there's many of you that, that fit that same bill. But God is saying to you, if you could see it like I see it, that the freedom to the brokenness inside your mind and inside your soul comes through what you're able to give to somebody else. To let that person go who hurt you, who wronged you. Listen to what Corey Tembun said. The people after World War II that were able to actually get on with their lives were the people that were able to forgive. Let's bow our heads right now. Father, speak to us this morning. Speak to our hearts. God, show us the areas in our life that we are going the wrong direction in right now. And some of you, you're on a ship and, and you don't think it's ever going to catch up to you. I want you to know secrets are keeping you sick. 
secrets in your life that are, are pushing you away from God and, and you say to yourself, they're, they're, I'm not hurting anybody. <laughs> I'm sure Jonah thought that for a moment as he was on that ship. But then that moment came when they started hurting other people. There's going to come a day where you've gotten away with something for so long and it's going to start affecting the people that you love. My prayer is that you'll hear this warning from this pastor this morning that you need to turn back to Nineveh. You need to turn back to God. Because if you don't, you're going to hurt not just yourself, but you're going to hurt a lot of other people. And there's another group of people that are so self-righteous that all you do many times is just compare yourself to other people. And you know, sometimes when you're feeling like you're, you're falling, you just say, oh, at least I'm not as bad as that person. Or, or, you know, God must really love me because my sin isn't as bad as so-and-so's. You are full of pride. There's no greater sin than that. There's no sin that could cause somebody to fall and stumble more than pride. Your pride is causing you to fall just like Jonah. But this morning, God is ready to catch you. Because God can always fly faster than you can fall. God's saying, I want to catch you, but but first you've got to release some things. You've got to forgive some people. Somebody in here, you... You have a brother who is always saying things that get under your skin and you have developed a a, a resentment for them. Maybe it's because they're more successful on the outside than you are. Maybe because you think a parent loves them more than you and you've developed a resentment towards that person. It's toxic. It's gotten in you. It's caused you to break down in your mind. It's caused you to to miss God's calling on your life this morning. You need to give them the hand and and release them and say, I forgive you. I don't even know why I'm so mad at you, but I forgive you. Someone in here, the person that you need to forgive is yourself. That you live in so much regret for the sins that you've done. And when you're alone, what you think about is just the years that you've wasted and the opportunities that you've wasted. But God brought you here this morning to send a fish to protect you and to say, I'm not through with you yet. You get back on that road. You go preach to Nineveh. Your excuses are not going to turn into regrets any longer. But you have to forgive yourself. It's over. It's finished. Yes, you could have done better. You should have done better. But now it's a lesson. And you are going to be able to get through this next season of your life. Forgive yourself.